Hey, we are uh, beginning a new series today, and we're going to jump into that in a, just a second. Before we do that, let me let you know something exciting that I just found, about, found out about this morning. Uh, Donnie talked a while ago about when we took up the offering that we uh, helped do a lot of things with that money. One of the things we do is we plant new churches, and uh, we are supporting currently, right now, we're supporting four new church plants, one in the Baltimore area, one uh, right here in Greer, and two in the Charleston area. And one of the churches that we support in the Charleston area is Restoration Community Church. It's in the Hanahan area of Charleston, those of you who are familiar with that. My daughter actually is a student at CSU, and she goes there. She's leading worship there this morning, as a matter of fact. And um, she was telling me that, um, just congratulations, let me just say it this way, we're all grandparents. Aren't you excited to be a grandparent? Uh, because Restoration Church, who we're helping start, we help start that church, and we're giving money to them every month. Guess what they're doing? They're helping start a new church. So the money that you give not only is helping start that church, but it's helping start another church. It's awesome. And here's the exciting part. The church is in Hollywood. Hollywood, South Carolina. There, and some of you are like, I didn't know there was a Hollywood, South Carolina. There is. Go home, look it up, on, or pull out your phone right now, look it up on Google Maps. It's a little town, community down in the lower part of the state of about 5,000 people, and est- they estimate that 4,500 of the 5,000 don't go to church anywhere. And so it's a great place for, uh, for restoration to be starting a church, and, and in turn, you're helping do that. So that's some pretty exciting stuff. Uh, we are going to jump into Psalms. Did anybody uh, watch that fight last night? I did not watch the fight, but uh, here's the, what I thought about. I don't know if you know this or not, and, and I don't know anything about Manny Pacquiao, but uh, somebody, I, I'm on Twitter, and someone retweeted a tweet that Manny Pacquiao had, had put out earlier in the week. Evidently, he's a believer. He was talking about his relationship with Jesus, and this is just me because I'm a pastor. But when I saw how much money those guys were making last night, the first thing I thought of is, that is awesome. Some church, because Manny Pacquiao, if he's a believer, he should be in a church. And if you're a believer, what are you supposed to do with your money? Tithe. Yes, yeah, some of y'all said that really loud because you did this morning. Some of you were like, tithe, because you didn't. If Manny Pacquiao ties, guess what? There's some church in America today that's getting a check for about nine million bucks. Isn't that awesome for that church? Man, the stuff they're going to be able to do with that money. That is so good because we know everybody ties, right? All right. Psalms. We're looking in the book of Psalms, and so if you've got a Bible uh, with pages, open up to the middle of it, and you'll find Psalms. If you've got one on your phone, just look for the P-S-A-L-M-S, Psalms, and you can find that. We're going to be in Psalm 27, and we're starting a a series in Psalms. We're going to be in in the book of Psalms all during the month of May. Now, if, uh, if, just so you're kind of familiar with what we're talking about with what is Psalms, and those of you that grew up in church might be a little bit more familiar, but uh, the book of Psalms is the longest book in the Bible. There's 150 chapters. So if we preached one psalm every week, we would be in it for about three years, uh, if, if that's all we did. In fact, and then some of them are really long. In fact, the longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119. It's 176 verses in one, in one chapter in the Bible. So if you're going to read a chapter a day, if that's the way you're going to read the Bible, then you need to set out a little extra time when you get... To Psalm 119, it's the, it's the longest one in there. And so, so if, and as you look at Psalms, when you look in that book, you'll realize that this is written different than other parts of the Bible. It's, it's not telling a story, and if you read through 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, some of that, or you read through the book of Acts, or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see it's like a story. They're talking about things that are happening, and people going places. In Psalms, it's, 
It's not written like that. In fact, it's written even differently. It looks like it's written in stanzas or in verses. And that's because it's poetry. It's, it's song lyrics. That's what you're reading. A lot of the psalms that you read were actually sung at one point in the history of the church. Some of them were never sung, but they are still written as poetry. And they're written by lots of different people. The, the person that wrote the most of the psalms is, is King David, who is the king of Israel. And, and the psalm we're going to look at today, Psalm 27, we're going to cover the first six verses of that psalm. David wrote that psalm and, and that we're going to look at. And by the way, just let me just give you a little brief, you know, uh, just this is a little way just to help you learn. If, if you're talking about the book of Psalms, you say Psalms. But if you're talking about one psalm, like today, we're looking at Psalm 27. You don't say Psalms 27. You say Psalm 27 because it's only one. It's just like, you know how some people put an S on the end of Walmart? It's not Walmarts. It's Walmart. You, you don't say, I'm going to Walmarts, you say, I'm going to, and you don't say it's Psalms 100, it's Psalm 100. Now, there is one thing, you can put an S on the end of belt, because it just sounds weird to say belt. So, I, that is the one where that does, just go ahead and say you're going to belts, and, and that's all right. But it's Psalm. So today we're in Psalm 27, verses 1 through 6, and I told you just a second ago that, that David was the, the guy who wrote this. Now, let me give you just a little background of, of when this psalm was written, because it's very important for for what it says and give you a little background about who David is for those of you that might not be familiar. David was the second king of Israel. Israel had never had a king and, and they had been a, a nation ever since the time of Abraham and, and they'd never had a king and they wanted a king and so, so the first king of Israel was a guy named Saul and God appointed Saul to be the king of Israel and Saul at first was a good king, said that he was taller than everybody else in the country, people literally looked up to him. He was a man of great power, and, and he was following God and doing the things he should do. But Saul let the power go to his head, and he began to, to stray away from God's plan for him and God's plan for Israel. And, and God rejected him as king as a result of that. And so there's this guy named David. David who is not looked up to by anybody. In fact, he's looked down on even by the members of his family. He's a shepherd. He hangs out in the field with sheep, but he's very brave. God is doing a work in his heart, and God makes David the next king of Israel. And so before David officially becomes king, um, he, he does some things that gets people's attention. He kills a, a big tall guy named Goliath that you've probably heard about, probably heard that story. He kills Goliath, who was a giant. He, he then begins to, to go to battle with Saul. They're, they're fighting side by side, but, but David's victories are greater than Saul's victories, and people get really excited about that. And so they start to sing songs about how great David is and how David is greater than Saul. And of course, how do you think Saul reacts to this? Well, he reacts the way most men of power do when they find out that someone else is getting more recognition. They don't like that a whole lot. And so, so he gets upset with David. And David was not only a warrior, not only was he a shepherd, but David was also a musician. Man, he could do it all. And so he's a musician that would come in and he would play for the king. And, and they tell stories that the king Saul got so jealous of David and so, so angry with who he was and with the attention that he was getting that it says that several times David would be playing for the king and the king would get angry. And one time he got so angry when David is in the banquet hall playing his, uh, his lyre or whatever it was that he played and he's playing that for, for, uh, for King Saul that, that Saul picked up his spear 
and threw it and tried to kill David. Now, we already know Saul's got a problem. If you're eating dinner and you're just keeping your spear close by to be ready to kill somebody, that's a problem in and of itself. I, mean, I don't know how many of you like eat dinner and you put your Glock on the table right beside you. If you do, you need to go see some, a counselor for that. And so, so Saul had all these problems and he's trying to kill David. So what does David have to do? It gets so bad that David has to run. So he's running for his life, literally running for his life. Now, he's not all alone. He's, he's got a, a pretty nice-sized contingent of men who believe in him. They know that he's going to be the next king. They're ready to support him when that happens. And so David and his men, they run for their lives, and they even have to, it gets so bad, they have to sleep and stay in a cave. And this is not like the bat cave where they've got computers and lights and all that stuff. This is a cave cave with no lights and it's dark and it's, and it's musty and, and there's bats and stuff living in there and they're living in a cave. And so when you read Psalm 27, which is what we're going to look at today, understand that most scholars, uh, Bible scholars will tell you that they believe that this psalm was written while David was in the cave. And if you want to read the story about David being in the cave, you can go to 1 Samuel 22. So if you're taking notes, write down 1 Samuel 22. You can read that this afternoon. It tells the story of David in the cave. But they believe that while David was in that cave, he, in a quiet moment, he began to write these words that we're going to read. And so let me read Psalm 27, 1 through 6. And uh, these are some of the words that, that David wrote in the cave. And it says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord." One of the things that, that happens to us when we have difficult times is it's natural for us to be discouraged. Now, I don't think there's anybody in here today who's ever had a king trying to kill you. I don't think there's anybody in here today that's ever had to live in a cave because you literally had an army chasing you down. Nobody in here has ever had a spear thrown at them while you're trying to play your liar for somebody. But we do have difficult things that happen to us. We have to deal with the problems of life that come our way, some that we cause on our own, some that just are thrust on us that, that we really don't have any control over. There are those of you in here that, that you've lived through cancer and you've lived through bankruptcy and you've lived through divorce and you've lived through loss of loved ones and, and all of those kinds of things, and it's very, very difficult. And there are those others of you in here who haven't lived through that, but guess what? Your day is going to be coming with some of that stuff, maybe not all of it, but we all go through those difficult times. And what happens when we do that, what tends to happen to me, is that it's easy for me, and maybe easy for you, for us to get discouraged and to think that maybe somehow God has forgotten about us. Maybe somehow that in the midst of this, that, that now we're all alone, that I never thought this was going to happen. I never thought I'd have to deal with this difficult thing, and, and I really don't know what to do now, and I feel very alone and, and scared because of this. And 
And one of the reasons why that happens, one of the reasons why discouragement is so easy for us to fall into is because we serve and we have a relationship with an invisible God. Now, when I say that, some of you might think, what are you talking about, Cliff, an invisible God? And you might get a little offended even. I'm not saying he doesn't exist. I'm just saying that you can't see him with your eyes. And in fact, I, I didn't make up the fact that he's called an invisible God. If you look at Colossians 1.15, it's going to be on the screen. The Apostle Paul said this. He said, he is the, and when he says he, he's talking about Jesus. So Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So what Paul's saying there is, he's saying the God that we serve, we can't see. So Jesus came to earth, and, and for the first time, people could see, touch, talk to, face-to-face God that they had never been able to do that before. And so we serve this invisible God. And, but the problem is, is that our circumstances, those things we're dealing with, they're very visible, aren't they? You're, you're face-to-face with them. You, you sit down and, and you look at your, your checking account on, on the app on your phone or, or look in your checkbook and you look at the funds and, you, and your circumstances are visible. You can put a bottom line on it. You can put numbers on it. But this God that you serve is, is sometimes you, it's hard to know if he's there or not. And so because we serve this invisible God but our circumstances are very visible, it's easy for us to get discouraged. Now, I, I can only imagine... What David must have felt like. David who has his entire life, he's tried to devote himself to the things of God. He's fought valiantly for God. He has tried to trust in him with everything that he has. And now where has it led him? Now he's living in a cave, running from a deranged king. And he's probably thinking to himself, God, I know that I'm supposed to be the king. You've already, you've already let me know that. You've already told me that. You sent Samuel to me to tell me that I'm going to be the next king. But why don't you go ahead and take care of this crazy man who's the king and let me get out of this cave? I'm sure there were those doubts in his mind. But I want you to notice what David does. What David does when he finds himself in that difficult place where his circumstances are so in his face and so visible. Look at what he does in verse 1. The very first thing he does is he begins to focus on who God is. He doesn't focus on his problems first. He focuses on who God is. And look at the words he uses for God. He says, the Lord is my light. Now I want you to notice what he does with these words. Because he focuses on the traits of God that go right along with where he is in life. Where was he? He was in a dark cave. And so what is he choosing to remember about God? Okay, I'm in a dark cave. I'm in a dark place. Things look terrible here, but you know what? God is light. I need to focus on the fact that God is light, even though I'm in a dark cave. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. What was the situation where where he was in this cave? He He couldn't come and go as he pleased. Why? Because he was basically a prisoner. He was a prisoner in this cave, and he's saying there, even though I'm a prisoner, even though I'm in this place where I can't come and I can't go where I want to, I know that you're going to save me. I know I'm not going to be a prisoner forever because, God, you are my salvation. You're going to save me out of this situation. Whom shall I fear? And then he says, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. And I love this because of the fact that David wrote this in a cave. He was in a literal stronghold. That's what a cave would have been. He wasn't in that that place just to hide. Saul knew he was in there. But he was in a place that it was 
that Saul was not able to get to him without sacrificing too many of his men. So he was in a stronghold. He was in a safe place, even though it was a dark place. And even though he couldn't come and go as he wanted to, he was safe as long as he was in that stronghold. And so he was reminding himself, I'm in this place. God, you've provided this place. And even if I wasn't in this cave, God, you are my safe place. You are my stronghold. And so he's choosing in the midst of these circumstances to focus first on who God is. And then he begins to move in verse 2 and 3. He begins to compare. All right, let's look at my problems here. Let's look at the situation I'm dealing with. And let's compare them to the things I just said about God. And he says this, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh. Now, there's no proof that, that Saul and his men were cannibals. So David is speaking poetically here. And one of the things David does, he writes poetry. These guys didn't literally want to eat him and make a David sandwich out of him. But what he was saying is, just like wild beasts, if I go out here, these guys are going to tear me limb from limb. They're going to do away with me. They want to eat up my flesh. And then he says, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. And then in verse 3, though an army encamp against me, that's literal. There was literally an army outside the, the, the entrance of this cave, encamped against him. Though an army is encamped against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. So look at all these things that David's having to deal with. He's got an army. He's looking down the barrel of having, there's going to be a war. When he comes out of this cave, one way or the other, his guys are going to have to fight those guys. He's got evil men. Saul had given over himself completely to evil now. He's no longer following God. The evil men are trying to attack me. They're trying to get me. And David's saying, in spite of all these problems, what does he say in verse 3? Yet I will be, say the last word with me, confident. Say confident, confidently. Yet I will be confident. He is saying, in spite of all this stuff, I'm choosing to focus on who God is, and I believe that who God is, light, salvation, stronghold, is greater than army, evil men, and adversaries, and so because of that, I will be confident. Now let me ask you a question. Where does this come from in David's life? Is it just because he grew up in church? His parents raised him to believe God is strong and so that just came back to him at this moment. Do, do you think he just kind of mustered this up of himself? I'm really scared, but okay, I'm going to be brave today. Do, I mean, where does this come from? Well, I think that we get a hint and we get an idea of where it comes from when you look at verse 4. Look at what he says in verse 4 here. He says, one thing I have asked of the Lord. Now, let me stop right there. I already told you a while ago that David is a diverse man. He's a musician, he's a warrior, he's a shepherd, he's a leader, he's all these different things. And so he, he could be focused on all kind of stuff, but what does David say? David says, out of everything in my life, the one thing that I have asked of the Lord, there is one thing that goes above everything else, so what is that one thing? One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now, just like I said a while ago, David speaks poetically. 
in these situations. And one of the things that, that David says poetically here is that he's saying, not that he wants to literally live at the church. He's not saying, if I could just live there at the church and, and hang out with the priest all day, I, I don't want to literally live in the house of the Lord. He's saying, when he talks about living in the house of the Lord, he's talking about following God. He's talking about being in relationship with Him. He's talking about growing in that relationship. He's talking about moving forward on that. Because he has this confidence he has this confidence that God is greater than this situation. And I want you to know today that we can be confident that God is greater than our circumstances. God is greater than our circumstances. And where this comes from is when you look in verse 4, he says, One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. All right, last Sunday afternoon... Um, some of you went to, uh, we, had a, we had a thing at our office, which was awesome. Dr. Kurt Horn, who's a, a professor at North Greenville, he came and he did a two-hour session with us just saying, hey, here's a way that when you're looking at the Scripture for yourself, because one of the things that I want you to do as a follower of Jesus is I want you to read the Bible for yourself. If the only Bible you're getting today, this week, is what you get from me today, you are starving to death spiritually. So I want you to read the Bible for yourself. Well, one of the things that Dr. Horn talked about last week, that when you're reading the Scripture, one of the things that's important to look at is you can look at, now this is getting English here. How many of you are good at English in school? Raise your hands. Okay. How many of you are math people? Yeah, I don't like you math people, but you English people, I'm right there with you. No, I'm just kidding. You math people are great. We need you to build bridges and stuff. But the English people, um, he talks in there about you need to be able to recognize Verb tenses, all right? You know, a, a verb has like past, present, future, past, future, present, perfect. I don't know all of them, but it's got a bunch of tenses is what it's got. And he says that, that you can look at the tenses of the verbs and find out what's going on. And I want you to look at, at verse 4 because this is so important for us to understand why David could be confident in a cave with an army waiting to kill him. He says, one thing have I asked of the Lord. What tense is that? Say it out loud. Past. So this is so this is something that David has been doing for a long time. One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after. What tense is that? Future. Coming up. I'm going to do this. So check this out. Listen to this very closely. What David is saying here is that it has been my desire for many years now, it is my desire today, and it will continue to be my desire that the most important thing in my life be my relationship with God, that I will follow Him. And if you want to know where confidence comes from, if you want to know why David could be in a situation where he could be so confident that God was going to care for him, even though there was an army waiting for him, even though there were people trying to kill him, it's because... For many, many years, his most important part of his life had been seeking after the Lord. It was the part of his past. It was part of his present. It was part of his future. It was the consistent path. And I want you to know today that consistency creates confidence. Consistency creates confidence. Now, that's not just true in your spiritual life. That's true in anything. If you want to get good at a sport, you want to get good at an instrument or anything like that, if you consistently do that, you're going to become more confident in that. But it's also true in our spiritual life. That if you are consistently seeking after the things of God, guess what's going to happen? You're going to understand more of who God is, and you're going to see Him work in your life, and you're going to be more confident in what He's trying to do in, in your life. See, David had done this 
in good times and bad times. David had sought the Lord when he was by himself in a field watching sheep. David had sought the Lord when he was a warrior on the battlefield killing a giant. David had sought the Lord when he came into the banquet hall of a king. David had sought the Lord every day of his life. And so now when the difficult times come, he can be confident in who God is. He didn't just show up and things get bad and then he cried out to the Lord. See, that's one of the things that we do, isn't it, as human beings? We've all known people who have lived their life They've had no regard for the things of God. They, they ha- they've, they've totally rejected everything God wanted for their life. And then when their life falls apart, what do they do? Oh, then now it's time to start going to church. Now it's time. And they, they're going to try to make a bargain with God like God doesn't know who they are. God doesn't know what's in their heart. And it's like all of a sudden, okay, God, if you'll just get me out of this, I'll even be a preacher. I'll go to missionary and be in Africa. If you'll just get me out of this mess I've created. And God, you think God has ever looked down and said, wow, they're really changed. I can't believe this. No, he knows our heart. See, David's heart was for the Lord when things were good. And so when things were bad, his heart was still for the Lord. And that's where that confidence could come from. He didn't go to him as a, as a last resort. Now, now this, this is not going to be on the screen, but if you're taking notes, you need to write this down. See, the, the best way you can prepare for tough times that are coming is to seek God today. Let me say that again. The best way you can prepare for tough times that are coming is to seek God today. I told you a while ago, I know some of you have lived through those times. And I said to those of you that haven't, get ready. Now, I'm not saying that everybody in here who hasn't had cancer is going to get cancer. I'm not saying that everybody in here who hasn't lost a loved one to death in the last year is going to do that that's going to happen in the next year, but we are, you're going to have tough times. You're going to go through depression. You're going to struggle with addiction. You're going to struggle with, with, with losing a job. You're going to struggle with these things that happen to us in this life. And like I said, some of them we create, some of them are created by others that we still have to deal with. And if you want to know how to deal with those times that are coming up, seek God right now when things are good. Seek Him with all your heart while things are good. Don't wait, don't just live your life however you want and then wait and figure out, well, hey, God says he'll rescue me, so when things get bad, then I'll call out to him. And we seek him today. A couple weeks ago, two Saturdays ago, um, my daughter Grace participated. She ran the color run uh, up, at, up at Clemson, um, and it was a, a 5K race. Now, a 5K, um, I'm not good at the metric conversion, but it's like three miles and something, just over three miles. So it's not that long, and, uh, and I did not run in the color run, uh, but I took her there early in the morning, and I, and I waited for her while she did it, and it was awesome for her. It was really cool, and I'm there. It was raining, and I had my umbrella and that kind of stuff. And so I got to watch just what was going on, and here's what I noticed out there watching the folks at the color run. There were those folks that were obviously runners, and, and here's one way I knew that, because they started up on this hill, and they released them in waves. They had this one wave go, and then they waited, and then they had another wave. And Grace was like in the third wave, so it was a little while before her wave got to go. So I waited till she went, and then I walked back down the hill and over through this field to where the, the finish line was. By the time I got over there, there were some people already finishing. That, so guess what those guys and ladies were? Those were runners. They were serious. And you could see people coming in. And then obviously there were some other people coming in 
that, uh, that they finished the race and they came across and they were jogging across. But um, they, you know, I looked at them and I thought, I look better than you and I didn't run three miles today. Uh, you're struggling there, you know, with your weight or whatever. I mean, they were just some big old folks. And, and so I was watching them and, and, and I realized, you know, some of these folks, they just paid their money and they just showed up today and they did this with their friends or whatever because you could also walk it. You didn't have to run it. Now, now let me ask you a question. If, if, you, if you just participated in the color run and that's all you did, just paid your money and you went and color, would you say, do you think you could say, hey, I'm a runner? I didn't do it that day, but, you know, I, don't, I haven't run normally in my life. But if I'd gone in there today and got all excited with grace and said, oh, I'm paying today and I'm going, and I'd done that, when I got done, would I have been able to say, hey, I'm a runner? No, I'm, I'm not a runner. You know why? Because you don't become a runner by just doing one 5K. You know how you become a runner? You become a runner by lonely mornings by yourself when it's freezing cold and you're out putting your miles in or super hot days and you're putting your miles in or, or running four, five, six days a week or having, having, whatever you all do, however many miles you run. That's how you become a runner. And I've got friends of mine who are runners because they put those miles in. And that just showing up at a race doesn't make them a runner. I want you to understand something. That just turning to God when your life goes to pot doesn't mean you have a relationship with God. It doesn't mean that you are following Him. It doesn't mean that you're desiring to dwell in the house of the Lord like David was. David had a relationship with God because you know what he did? When times were good, when times were bad, when it was lonely, when, when, when he was with other people, he was seeking the Lord. You want to follow the Lord, it's more than just turning to Him when times are bad. It's being in the Word every day. It's praying without ceasing. It's being a servant in the place you live and you work and you play. And it's more than just showing up to church two times a month or once a month. You get to the end of the year. How many Sundays did we go to church last year? Oh, we went 16 Sundays. Man, that's more than once a month. We did pretty good. That doesn't mean anything. Because if you want to follow him, it's daily. It's a part of who you are. And that's what David was doing in this situation. The reason he could say in verse 4 that I am confident, in verse 3 that I am confident in God, is because you see in verse 4 he said, one thing I have sought after my entire life to dwell in the house of the Lord. That's what I want. I want to inquire of the Lord. I want to gaze upon His beauty. I want to be a follower of who He is. If we want to be confident in who God is, because God is who He is, we don't change that. But if we want to be confident in that, we've got to do our part by being consistent in the way that we follow Him, because consistency creates confidence. And then in verse 5 and 6, he ends this part of the psalm by saying this, I love this because, remember, David is in the cave. So he's looking ahead to what God is going to do for him. And that's where you see this confidence. He says, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. So 
Paul, I mean, uh, David is saying there, he said, one day it's going to come. I'm going to get out of this cave, and when I do, it's going to be because of God. He is going to lift me up. He is going to take care of me. He is going to put me high upon a rock. And he says in verse 6, and when that happens, I'm not going to be quiet about it. There's nothing quiet about verse 6. In verse 6, when it says, My head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tents sacrifices with whispers of joy. Is that what it says? I will offer in his tent sacrifices and keep it to myself. No, it says, I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Because here's one of the things that I know. When you go through difficult times in your life as a believer, when you come out on the other side of it because God has brought you out, you need to be loud about it. You, and, and I'm not talking about up. I'm not talking about going to Walmart and getting on the, you know, speaker. Uh, attention, Walmart shoppers! I just want to let you know, God healed me of cancer. Go back to your shopping. I'm not talking about doing that. But what I'm saying is, is you need to tell the people that you know. You need to tell them this is not just on me. This is the work of God in my life. I want you to understand how big my God is. Because there's two groups of people in your life. As you're a follower of Jesus. All of you have two groups of people in your life. You have people that don't know Jesus and people that do know Jesus. And both of them need to hear the testimony from you that God has saved you out of a rough situation. Those who don't know Jesus need to hear it because they need to know that the reason I can get through cancer, the reason I can get through bankruptcy, the reason I can get through my husband or wife walking out on me and the kids is because God brought me through it. What you see in me You're right, I'm not acting normal. I'm not acting like people normally do in this situation. And it's because God has done this for me. God has taken care of me. And the people that don't know Jesus in your life, they need to hear that. And on the other side, you've got people who do have a relationship with Jesus. And they need to hear that as well because they already know that, but they need to be reminded. They need to know that when their tough time is coming, that God is who he says he is. They believe these things, but they need to have that same confidence that you do that, yes, when the tough times come, you can make it through it. I heard an old black preacher talk one time, and he was preaching, and he was talking about how these difficult times come in our life, and he said that it's like God putting us in an oven to refine us, and he was talking about making a clay pot, and how you put it in an oven, and you do that so that the pot comes out stronger than it was before it went in, and he talked about how God puts us in the oven of life to refine us, and we go through these difficult times, and one of the things he said was, he said, when you come out of the fire... When you come out of the oven, you better give a shout. He said, because there's somebody else coming into the oven right behind you, and they don't know if they're going to make it out or not. And that's exactly what we need to do. That's why David says there, and my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy, and I will sing and make melody to the Lord. When those difficult times come and you finally get out of the cave, you better shout about it. You better sing and make melody to the Lord. You better, you better let people know because there's somebody coming in behind you and they don't think they can make it out. They don't know what's going to happen to them. I want to end by reading verse 5 again because I love it so. I think it just sums up so much of what we need to hear today about who God is. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will Conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. I don't know what you're dealing with today. 
I don't know what you're anticipating dealing with this week or down the road, but I want you to know that you can be confident in God. He is worthy to follow. And it's time for some of you to give your lives completely over to him. Quit holding it back. I'm going to pray a prayer, and when I'm done praying, the band's going to come back up. We're going to sing another song. That's what I want you to do just as you're sitting here today. I want you to be thinking about your own life, and is, is there something that, that's just been weighing you down that you need to, to say, God, I'm confident in you today. I'm confident that you are who you say you are. And then maybe you need to pray with somebody else. There's someone else in here that you know they're going through. Just the, They're in the cave right now. And they need to know that, that you're willing to go in that cave with them. And you're willing to pray with them and hold their hand and walk with them through that time. Maybe you need to go over to them and actually pray, come down front and pray. Maybe you need to send them an email this afternoon, whatever you need to do if they're not here. But I want you to deal with God yourself and deal with God for your other friends. Be, it, be someone who stands in the gap for them. So let me pray. Father God, you are good and we do believe that that you will lift us up when difficult times come if we seek you consistently. That you're, nothing's going to change who you are. That you're going to be the God who, who is with us on the good days and is with us on the bad days. And I pray that you would help me and you'd help the rest of us to consistently follow you, to, to seek you when, when things are, are at their best and at their worst. And when we're in the cave, help us not to be discouraged. Help us to remember that just as you were there with David, you're there with us. And as you lifted him up to a place of honor to be the king of a nation, you will lift us up if we are faithful to you. I pray for comfort right now in this place, Father. I know there are those here today who are hurting. I pray you'd comfort them. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.